Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. This is Andy Garcia checking in once again from Auckland, New Zealand, and it's another good day. We're just chilling here on the farm. I've just got the dogs fed and they're all sorted out, taking a little bit of a nap, you know, in the background here. And we have a special guest today. We're going to be talking pets once again. It seems like the theme for the last few episodes with myself as an animal health practitioner, I, I love to interview and to talk to people in the same field so I can learn as much from people. And so can you as the audience, picking up tips and whatnot, as well as, you know, just kind of shedding a little bit of light on us holistic health practitioners, especially when it comes to animal health, which we're just a small community at the moment and looking to really grow that community because we really treat our pets as family. As the world slowly shifts to, should I say, reverts back to these more natural and holistic techniques that we once applied on an everyday basis, you know, as we slowly shift back to those times, not only do we think about our own health, but people are starting to realize, oh, it's also my animal's health as well. Of course, that's how I got hooked in to holistic healthcare was looking to do better for my animals. And I've shared that story about Moral, my big American bulldog and the shift that I had when we lost her to, you know, heart failure back in 2010, early 2010, and how that started to shift things for me once I saw that holistic vet who started talking about other things that applied to her life. It wasn't just about her heart. It was about her diet. It was about supplementation and exercise and a whole bunch of other things that all came together. And it really, you know, opened up my eyes to what holistic healthcare actually is. So today I have a special guest checking in from Adelaide, Australia. Her name is Daniela Pellafrini, and she's a natural canine therapist and nutritionist, which is massive. You know, anytime we're talking about food is absolutely medicine. So I'm looking forward to diving in and talking to her about nutrition. She is known on Instagram as Holistic Dog. Now, Daniela is a qualified and accredited natural canine therapist and nutritionist who is passionate about empowering and educating parents to make informed decisions about their pet's health. We absolutely need people like Daniela in our corner to help advocate. You know, she's an advocate of holistic, balanced, proactive, and a preventative approach to help dogs be their best version of themselves, which ultimately is strong, healthy, and happy. So Daniela, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Andy. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So, you know, first off, an advocate for holistic, balanced, proactive, and preventative approach for dogs. So why specifically, I have to ask, you know, since we're here, why specifically dogs? I think, I mean, from as early as I can remember, I've always loved animals, all animals. And when I was younger, I grew up on a farm. So I was surrounded by lots of family dogs. Um, we also had chickens and goats and cats and the odd bird and things like that. And I think I would always spend time outdoors, you know, chasing butterflies and following bees and, you know, the grasshoppers and things like that. And I think I was just very drawn to companion animals, particularly dogs. I think the relationships I've had with family dogs in the past and even at the moment, um, the bond is just very special. And so my heart just continued to, to follow with dogs. It's just been one of those things. 
Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way dogs, you know, they, they definitely have a big piece of my heart. I love all animals. You know, I've got same thing. I've got goats, I've got chickens, I've got cats, but the dogs just for whatever reason, have a special place. Now, my wife is, is a little bit different. I mean, she loves her dogs too, but she's a little bit more attached to cats. You know, she's a bit of a cat lady and you, you yeah. can see it. It's just the, her energy connects with cats. They, um, you know, we've got two cats in the house and, and plenty of beds and couches and places for them to sleep. And they both just sleep right on top of her. You know? <laughs> it's just funny that way. But um, I connect with dogs as a, um, you know, just there's just something special with my connection with dogs as well. So let's let's talk about your background. Where are you from? And you, you, you talked a little bit about the animals you grew up. Dive into that a little bit deeper. Yeah, absolutely. So born and raised in Adelaide. So I haven't moved anywhere. Yep. Um, and yeah, so I've just always growing up with animals and I think I was just always the outdoorsy one and I'd be running around with all the animals and they'd be following me and telling stories to my parents about you know look what I found today or look what I saw um, at the moment I've got two wonderful dogs um, very very different dogs though so I have a small suspect she's a terrier cross chihuahua um, so she's three years old hey, yep. yep and we we picked her up at a rescue when she was about nine weeks of age. And then we also have an 11-year-old boxer who we also got from a rescue. We've only had her since October last year, and she has been an absolute blessing to the family. 11 years old, is she? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yep. So she's healthy otherwise. And with our smaller dog, she does have some behavioral issues. So it was very important that we found a second dog that could be patient with our mm -hmm. little dog and our boxer has been just that so patient um, respects boundaries very loving um, so we couldn't have asked for anything better right absolutely you know that, that's a good call too when you do have an existing dog in a home it's really good to think about and you want to bring on another one um, it's really good to think about them coexisting and their energy level you know and obviously you know can you dive into that a little bit more if you don't mind like talk about what was specific about your terry or chihuahua mix which absolutely sounds like a a, a little feisty <laughs> feisty <laughs> animal there um in, in a good fun way though um, you know, let's talk about your terrier chihuahua mix. What, what's her name or? Oh, yeah. Yep. So um, her name is Ida. Before we weren't sort of aware of any behavioral issues with her um, prior to collecting her. So she seemed to be a normal, typical happy puppy, very playful um, based on the videos that we saw. And it wasn't until so we brought her home and I, I would say after two weeks, once she settled into our home environment a little bit more, she started to really, I think her personality started to come out a bit more. And I think we started to really see her true self. And we started to notice a lot of fear, fearful behaviors come through, um, particularly when meeting new people and mm -hmm. when interacting with other dogs. So when we we're doing puppy preschool, she was regressing rather than progressing. Mm. Um, and we, so what, what was going on there? If you don't mind me pausing you, just she was it kind of brought out more fear when she showed up to places like that with a lot of people around and things of that. Yeah. Yep. So she um it was quite sort of more retreating type behaviors. So she would um sort of if someone was approaching her or she was seeing a new doll, you could just see it was a lack of confidence. And so her tail would be completely under 
her bum. Um, sometimes her hackles would go up, the sort of moon eyes, um, ears are down. So all those signals that she's uncomfortable and that she's not confident in, you know, interacting with a particular person or a particular animal. Um, I think the issue got to a point when instead of sort of the flight response, she started sort of more the fight response. So she started lunging, growling, um, showing teeth. And I think by that point, we were realizing this is not safe for anyone. And even though she's little and may not be able to do a lot of damage, we just don't want, considering she was a puppy, we don't want her to continue living in that stressful heightened state for a long period of time because for, for her quality of life that's going to affect her and her health as well so and then just raising her does she just kind of continue on with the fear aggression type personality or did uh, what happened as she kind of grew yeah so we consulted with a trainer sort of when she hit about a year old um, and they gave us some homework to do but at that time we were my partner and I were still living at home and so she was with my partner's family and because there was quite a few members in the household her training regime was not consistent and so when we went there and you know they had people over they weren't progressing with the same sort of routine that we had implemented during those situations and so she was getting quite confused and her behavior was just progressing a little bit worse each time and so we had to make the decision to do a board and train. So she was gone for about four weeks, um, which was a very long time. Um, but it actually took them two weeks to actually build enough trust to handle her. Um, and it's, it's quite heartbreaking in a way because, you know, from a puppy, you know, she's had, as soon as we brought her home, she's had nothing but positive interactions and um, positive sort of stimuli and reinforcement and just to see an animal have like so much confidence it's, it's quite sad at such a young age so with her board and train they were able to I guess sort of increase her threshold which was really really good and of course it's something that we have to continue for life um, continue the training and ensure that we are reinforcing the right behaviors and you know her we, we have noticed that her threshold before she shuts down is so much higher than what it used to be and she's a much happier dog coming out of that as well right absolutely i mean you're so spot on there with under realizing that it needs to be the entire home um, that the animal is in all needs to participate in the the, the training regiment and um, in, in that way she's not confused about situations um, so it was a good move to put her you know it's probably very difficult but a great move to to board her that way so that way she kind of gets out of she she's more in a consistent environment that you know for sure she's going to be getting that but um, at the same time it's you know it's it's hard to have the dogs go away for that long so then you decide to rescue the boxer right which has to be you know what what was the scenario because obviously you you've you have your little dog here and she's gone through a couple of of situations and then you decide to rescue the boxer but obviously with the understanding that it has to be a good fit so talk about you know that time and how that all went down getting a boxer was not exactly planned <laughs> so uh, as we say um so we were on the look 
for a second dog and we are sort of pro-rescue people, um, but a lot of the dogs that you do find in rescues are mostly high energy. Um, so Staffies, your Kelpies, Border Collies. And while they're beautiful dogs, they just wouldn't be fit for our, our dog at home either. And that was obviously really important to us because we don't want to cause any tension in the household or cause added stress to either. So it was important that we would find a dog that its energy wise was, I guess, a bit more neutral. It had um, good social cues, uh, good manners and boundaries. Um, so we're on the hunt for quite a long time. And then I think we sort of got to a decision where we thought, you know, maybe we have to, you know, go with a breeder and get a puppy. And then we'll sort of stuck on what breed would we actually get? You know, what would be fit for Ida? And then we... Um, sort of on my Facebook page, you know, um, Bella, which is the, my box's name, um, she popped up. And I've always said to myself, I wouldn't get a, a brachycephalic breed just because of potential health issues and things like that, that they could have. And, um, but I saw her and she looked so small and so sweet. And I read her bio and um, it just seemed too perfect. So I sort of sent in an application and I just asked some questions, you know, what's her social interactions like? Is she good with small dogs? Um, is she good at reading social cues? And they said that she's wonderful. And so I said to my partner, I was like, should we just do a meet and greet and see how that goes? And so we did a meet and greet. We spent over an hour and we actually saw Ida play bow with Bella. And that's something we've never seen before. And in that moment, wow. um, my heart melted. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just such a precious moment that we could share. And from there, we just decided to take her home. And she has been just that very patient, you know, they'll sort of try to play with each other, but they're not sort of, sort of overextending those boundaries or, you know, putting each other in an uncomfortable place. So it has been, yeah, truly wonderful. Absolutely. I mean, that's fantastic that it just worked out that way. Cause typically, you know, boxers, you know, they, they're the breed that, you know, never seems to get beyond three years old, even though they're eight, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just very high energy, playful constantly. I, I used to have two boxers uh, when I was a kid, actually. And the story behind how we ended up with boxers uh, we wanted to get some dogs about, I don't know, we were about maybe 11, 12 years old, somewhere in that age. And we've had a, had a couple of rescue dogs and whatnot along the way and, and um, ended up, you know, then escaped and, you know, never, you know, they got lost again, basically, <laughs> for whatever reason. And um, anyway, so my, my stepdad says, if you want a dog, then you need to do as much research as you can on the breed. And so we spent the entire, and this was just like internet just came out, um, you know, mid nineties. And we spent hours and hours that summer researching different breeds. And we decided that the boxer was the one we were going to go with. And so we ended up rescue or not rescuing, uh, going to a breeder, getting the boxer. And then we found out um, probably a couple of weeks later, uh, maybe it was about a month later, uh, yeah, somewhere in that time, it was pretty close after that 
he only had one testicle that actually dropped. So we, you know, obviously these were, you know, uh, decently paid for dogs, should I say, as far as expense wise. So my, my stepdad went back to the breeder and said, you know, this dog's not, not fully intact. Not that we were going to, you know, do any breeding program or anything, but I think it was more or less, you know, um, just the, the whole concept of, you know, the, he's not fully intact, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the breeder says, well, you know what, we have one more dog here and we can go ahead and, you know, you, we, we can't, we're, we, you can, I think maybe do a swap, you know, if you want to. And we are like, we don't want to give our pup away. You know, we don't want to give Chase away. And um, so my, my stepdad says, well, maybe I'll just take them both. You know, it's just, it made absolutely mm-hmm. no sense. You know, I was like, well, now we got two dogs, you know what I mean? And so anyway, so we, we ended up bringing the other, his brother home and, and they were just so high energy, but they, and we had a great time growing up as kids. Cause we were high energy as well. Um, you know, playing around very sporty family and, and um, they just had a great time playing with us and whatnot. So, but I, I learned a lot about breeds in particular boxers so to speak, um, growing up as a kid. So uh, let's get back to your story. The boxer, so you, you brought Bell and it was a great match. And is it has everything gone well ever since? Yeah, yeah, it's gone so well. I mean, she's had a couple of, um, I guess, medical issues, nothing too extreme, but, um, you know, at the same time, that's, that's completely fine. But in terms of our, you know, our two dogs, they're sort of, getting along really well and we're starting to see very very micro progress between their bond which is really really nice to see and I think that's a combination of you know no one's forcing anything it's all just happening at their own pace and naturally um, we don't sort of set any expectations to set up the dogs for fail so um, things are going great and she's She's doing wonderful. She's Bella definitely doesn't act 11. <laughs> As yeah. you said, boxes are very high energy. So she does definitely run around like she's a puppy. Um, we've also got her um, because both my dogs are raw fed. So the rescue was able to transition Bella onto a raw diet prior to us bringing her home. So that kind of made wow that step a bit easier, but she takes a lot of, like she requires a lot of food to keep weight on. Um, which is what I found to be a little bit difficult when we first brought her home because she's eating so much more than what she should at her age. So yeah, that that's each dog is their own, and you got to you know work with the dog that's in front of you. Absolutely. So speaking of working with the dog that's in front of you now, now as a you know natural canine therapist and nutrition, you know just talk about what got you into this field of work. Yeah, of course. So as I was saying sort of earlier, I've always had a passion for animals. I've, I think it's just almost like I knew I was born to just work with animals. Um, As I was growing up entering primary school and high school, my mind was set on vet nursing. And I think part of that is because when you sort of learn about the jobs you can do in the animal industry, they always said the three being a vet, a vet nurse or a zookeeper. Um, and I was just quite drawn to vet nursing. So I hit year 12, you know, you got to enroll and apply for, you know, certain courses. So I applied for vet nursing at TAFE. And then I said to myself, I need a backup plan in case I don't get into the course. 
And so I did, um, my second option was enrolling in the Bachelor of Animal Science at university. Now I didn't get into TAFE. So I thought I'll start university and, you know, maybe mid semester, I'll try again to apply for vet nursing and see where we can go. Um, so that went on again, I couldn't get into the TAFE course. Um, second year of university hits and I tried one more time to apply for vet nursing, still couldn't get in. Um, so I think by this point, I started to lose a little bit of interest, but in saying that doing the university course was probably the best thing I could have done. It opened up my eyes to so many different areas of the animal world. Um, we learned about reproduction, anatomy and physiology, nutrition, genetics, production animals. Um, my mind was sort of going crazy with all these different ideas and pathways. And I think as we learned more about anatomy and physiology, I became quite fascinated by the biomechanics of the animal. So the muscular and skeletal system and how they support, you know, the animal completely and without muscles and bones, you know, the animal pretty much doesn't exist. You know, they, they need to move to live essentially. And um, I think I started to find myself quite drawn to rehabilitative type sort of work. And I was sort of just researching my options around that. And a lot of things require you to be at least a vet or a vet technician or vet nurse to be able to sort of then be eligible to complete certain courses. And so I tried to find ways around that and find courses that would allow me to, you know, do things like massage, for example, without having to be a vet. And I was able to find more independent um, institutions and educational resources for that, which was really great. So I continued my Bachelor of Animal Science degree. I did do a year of honours after that, which was not planned, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I had a wonderful supervisor and it was a great experience but I made the decision to not continue to a PhD because I think that sort of leads you into being a researcher or an academic. And I like to do things that are quite hands-on, very rewarding, sort of giving back quality of life to animals. And that's when I sort of started my journey with massage. Um, so I did that in Victoria, wonderful course. And then from there, I sort of, stumbled upon nutrition courses and then the laser therapy and it's just now snowballed <laughs> <laughs> it's a very similar story you know for me as well where I just had this um intuition that I'd be working with animals one day and I think a lot of it started when I actually did all that research on you know the different breeds and whatnot and and how to find a reputable breeder and what goes on with breeding and all that like I was diving into it like as a 12 year old um just because up for one the internet was cool and this new thing and you could find all this information on there um and so you know for dog breeding was I thought was in my future for the longest time uh, but, you know, eventually, you know, the path, you know, jumped around a bit and, and then I thought it was going to be, you know, dog, you know, training dogs, you know, doing something around that. And then, you know, the, the holistic health path just, you know, came for me as 
um, you know, just looking to do better for my dogs and making some transitions within my own life of doing more of, you know, just starting to get a little bit more healthy and more health conscious with my wife being a nurse and, and her story is, you know, quite, um, intense and extensive with, with her back injury, um, where she was injured working as a nurse in the hospital and, and uh, we were just looking to do things more naturally. And of course, that just progressed with, well, we've got to do things more naturally for our animals as well. So what led you down the more holistic path versus obviously more, you know, mainstream techniques? Yeah, of course. I think for me, I feel like it's just an intuitive drive um, that's kind of pushed me into that more balanced and holistic approach. I think Previously to the two dogs I have now, we had two family pets, um, both Jack Russells um, from the same litter. They were such beautiful dogs. And I think they were both riddled with conditions where we couldn't do much in terms of treatment and things like that. So it was more managing the condition until um, qual qual quality of life wasn't there. Um, and then we had to make the decision to let them go. So during that time, you know, I started to explore, I guess, more non-invasive ways of how can we help them. So we did a bit of laser therapy and that's how I sort of started to learn about that type of modality um, and just things like that. And I think, you know, at the time I thought I was doing the best by them. I had them on Royal Cannon breed specific Jack Russell food. And I was like, yep, this is the best that they could have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's, it's specific to Jack Russell's, like it's all they need. And now I'm looking back and I'm just like, oh gosh, what was I doing? But you can't do better unless you know better. And yeah. you know, I think that kind of, from when we brought Ida home, I just wanted to do things differently. And in regards to nutrition, I actually had a like-minded professional um, who's a close business and personal friend now. And she actually threw the idea of raw feeding to me. And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. And then I started to do my own research on the topic. And it was almost like a light bulb moment. And it just felt so right and so normal to just like, this is what they should be having. Like, I don't understand why I haven't been doing this. Like, how did I not know about this? From there, I just pursued that and then did some courses to learn more. And it just makes sense to me. So that's kind of how I got into, I guess, that nutrition side of things. And then with massage, for example, and laser therapy, I just love being able to, I mean, how I see something like massage is it sort of reminds the body on how to heal itself. And that's all, that's how I see is what I'm doing when I'm massaging a dog, it's I'm getting the body to recognize that it needs to heal and, you know, do so at a more efficient and, you know, faster rate. And that's sort of how I see it so powerful because it's a whole body experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm very similar in terms of um, bringing that multi, multiple modalities into play uh, is, is my approach because I don't think one specific well especially when you're talking about holistic healthcare it's about nutrition it's about you know exercise it's about you know em emotional health and and behavioral um you know stability 
Um, and there's a lot of other techniques that you can bring in like massage therapy, chiropractic adjustments, and, and you can just provide this optimal health plan ultimately for your animal, uh, when you just take into consideration all the different techniques, but, but, um, what is, you know, let's talk about your approach within your, your clinic. Cause you talked about massage and laser, you know, what, what, you know, just an overall kind of perspective, if you could put it into perspective, what, what, what do you, what do you do in your clinic? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely agree with you that a multi sort of faceted approach is the best for every animal, even people as well. Um, you know, I find the therapies and modalities I offer, like the massage and the nutrition and laser, I find that it's all about sort of working complementary to each other. Um, you know, for example, conventional medicine, it definitely has its place. And I don't want people to ever refuse their pet um, sort of medication, for example, where it's needed, particularly in an acute situation to provide pain relief, for example. Um, so I don't want people to deny that for their pets. But when we're looking at sort of long-term approaches and I guess management, you have to look at the lifestyle of the animal, you know, their environment, their living conditions, um, what the household is like, you know, what are they eating? Everything is so connected. And I find by sort of making small changes in different aspects of an animal's life, it has such a profound like a more profound effect, I feel. Um, and so that's why I like offering these different modalities because I want people to see it as a complementary tool to their pet's health, whether it's for um, preventative measures or just being proactive and sort of managing, you know, a condition, for example, because you can't just rely on one thing. Um, and yeah, that's sort of how I, I like to approach things and offer that for people. Yeah, absolutely. You can't rely on just one thing. And, and you're right, you know, I, I think that's, a uh, that's, that's something that I really like to stress as well, you know, the, 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 the more mainstream veterinarian, um, you know, uh, medicine approach might be needed from time to time and is needed from time to time. But there's a lot of other complementary tools that we can bring into play so we can either lessen the the need for that medication um, or potentially just you know make the the correct changes in the lifestyle and offer these complementary therapies that might be able to allow the um, the animal to not be on that medicine you know what I mean so it, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to just view health in general so what I want to do though is really dive take a moment to just dive into nutrition because you talked about raw diet and for one can you give a shout out to that rescue that transitioned your dog to raw before you even picked her up because that's incredible yeah absolutely so the rescue is guardian angel animal rescue um they're quite known here in adelaide so i think a lot of people will know who i'm talking about um and they also advocate for raw feeding so it's pretty exceptional that is phenomenal. I mean, to, to have your dog, you know, transition before from a rescue before you even picked her up. That's, that's incredible. So let's, let's talk about nutrition. Why is this important versus, you know, let's say kibble or just mainstream dog food? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, because I could have sort of gone for days about, you know, the benefits of raw diets and why it's better than kibble, but I think people need to sort of look at how we got 
to where we are today and why are we, you know, why is there so much attention around processed foods nowadays? I mean, if we think about diet in general, even for humans, it's fundamental to every aspect of our health. And if you think about what disease is, it's a source of, or it's a cause of inflammation in the body. And so we know that inflammation can be fueled by what we put into our bodies. And we know this because, you know, our doctors tell us all the time, eat more fresh whole foods, less processed refined foods, because, you know, if you don't, then, you know, it can lead to these issues. And so, you know, if we think about, you know, why we even have commercial pet food here today, it's because it was invented back in the mid 1800s. And this was during World War II when food and resources and supplies were short during that time. And so someone decided to come up with a way to make food for dogs in a convenient way. Um, And by doing this as well, they also make money off of it. And prior to that time, so going back a thousand years ago, our dogs were living off you know, table scraps and leftovers and pretty much anything after what we ate and they were doing so much better. And, you know, as the years have gone on, um, you know, manufacturers have, you know, all these wonderful machineries and they use extrusion processes and things like that to create this food. But I think the issue now is that we're starting to see so many generations of dogs just be riddled with diseases that could easily be prevented through nutrition I understand some things are out of a control like genetics but diet can influence certain gene expressions to turn on and off and so you know our dogs are not living as long as they used to they're always ending up with cancer diabetes obesity um, dental disease liver disease orthopedic issues and that's something we just didn't used to see and so we're starting to look at sort of well what's the problem here and we're just focusing so much on the pet food industry because it's just not regulated um, and in my opinion um, you know dogs are facultative carnivores so they definitely have a preference for high meat diets they can definitely adapt and survive on a more omnivorous diet but that doesn't mean that they're thriving off it and you know I'm sure we would all want our dogs sort of to live their best and happiest and longest life. And, you know, we're not really doing them a favor if we're feeding food that is heavily processed. Um, Cats and dogs are still to date the only species to be eating such a processed commercial product, whereas every other animal is eating what it was designed to eat. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting point there. I, I believe just to kind of touch on that, there was a podcast that I was listening to and it was um, the guest speaker. Sorry, what was the podcast? Anyways, I'll come back to that. Um, But the guest was talking about like his primary job was to design meal plans for the zoo, this zoo that he was working at. And he said exactly the same thing that you just said, you know, it was like, I, for, for the rest of the animals in this zoo, for all the animals in this zoo, I specifically 
um, design this meal plan based on what they would naturally eat in, in the wild. And, and cats and dogs are literally the only ones that are under this processed food re regime, you know. So please continue on because this is a very important topic to, to continue to, um, you know, touch on. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, our dogs are more than capable of handling sort of raw foods. I mean, if we look at their anatomy and physiology, they have sharp teeth, they have short digestive tracts, very acidic stomachs, and that is perfectly equipped to handle, you know, meats and bones and things like that. And, you know, that's super important when you think about what they're eating, because if you're fueling their body with heaps of carbohydrates and synthetic nutrients, it puts a lot of stress on the body to try and digest this and break it down to be able to utilize the nutrients from that food. And that's just what commercial pet food is. It's they use a lot of wheat, a lot of grains, a lot of carbohydrate sources because it's cheap and it's, I guess, you know, resources are there. Um, so, you know, again, dogs will eat it to survive because if that's all they're being offered, then I mean, they'll, they'll consume that, but they're not necessarily going to thrive. And I mean, I wish, I'm sure we all wish that they could just speak and talk to us um, because just because we're not seeing sort of external issues doesn't mean they don't have problems going on on the inside. And I think that's something that gets overlooked quite a lot because you'll get people who will say, oh, my dog's on dry food and, you know, like they're healthy or I've had previous dogs on dry food for life and they live to their 16. And I just say, you had a good card of genetics there, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, just very, very lucky, but it's, it's not so much what you see in the short term. It's the long-term consequences that that can have on an animal is just poor nutrition. And we deserve to give our dogs high quality foods that they're able to break down and sort of, you know, absorb the nutrients um, efficiently and, you know, that a species appropriate because they're meant to be having sort of a high meat diet, um, you know, a little bit of plant matter and then good healthy fats and some bones. I mean, they're perfectly equipped for that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, especially when you when you get that that gut, um, you know, just right and they can they can digest those bones extremely easily. And um, so I would I just want to touch on the from a vet veterinarian aspect and i know this might be a difficult question um to respond to but you know what in your opinion why do the majority of vets seem to kind of be against a raw diet and promote the um you know kibble processed food diet i think there's sort of two sort of answers to this question and i think one of it is because they have most likely dealt with some clients who have done a fresh food diet, whether it was raw or cooked, and it was completely unbalanced. And that can have detrimental effects on an animal's health. And so it is true that if you are going to feed a fresh food diet, it needs to be done correctly. And so I think they've just seen too many horror stories um, of people not doing it right. And I think that's because I think of the people who feed cooked rice or pasta with cooked chicken breast or maybe beef mince and some veggies. And that does not cut it for the animal uh, long-term. That is quite sort of deficient in a lot of nutrients. 
Um, and so that's probably one part. And I think the other part is, I mean, during their six year degree, they do very little on nutrition, which surprises me as nutrition is, like I was saying before, fundamental to every aspect of our health and, and animals health. So they do such a short course on it. So there's a lack of education, but it's also because throughout their course, they're sponsored by your big brands like Hill Science and Royal Cannon. And, you know, they sort of offer discounts and promotions and freebies and that sort of thing. And by doing that sponsorship, they also get to teach the nutrition course, which is, of course, biased to push their products. And that's why you see a lot of vets recommending those. And it's purely a sort of lack of education on balanced diets and fresh food diets and that sort of thing. And I don't want people to hate on the vets that don't support raw feeding. Um, you just need to find a vet that supports your decisions and will actually guide you on, you know, and just make sure you're doing things correctly rather than sort of, you know, I guess um, thrashing the vets because they, they do care. It's just they're limited in their knowledge. So Daniela, can you talk about how, let's say somebody brings home a puppy or they've rescued a dog that might be a little bit elderly. Um, you know, how can you give us some tips on how to ultimately get started on a raw diet? Cause that's actually a question that I get quite often. Like, what, what do I even do? And the question that I had in the very beginning, and, and luckily I had a friend that I could kind of consult with who was like, you're, you're playing too much into it. You know, just, just, um, you know, relax and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty simple once you get into it, but let's, you know, just, if you can provide a few tips on somebody brand new that wants to make this transition. Absolutely. I understand how it can always be overwhelming in the beginning because nutrition is a very, very big, broad subject, and there's a lot to know. Um, and Google can certainly be conflicting with certain information. And if you talk to people who, I guess, don't have the appropriate qualifications, then you can also get some mixed information. Um, I always tell people, especially when you're starting out, I would start by just simply removing, you know, 20% of the dry food and add in, you know, replace that with some fresh food. And that could be anything like, raw meat, it could be eggs, sardines, vegetables, fruits, pretty much anything that, you know, as long as your dog doesn't have any intolerances or sensitivities, but that's definitely a great starting point. Um, while you're just kind of dipping your toes in and starting to learn more. But we're quite fortunate that today we have quite a lot of commercial raw options. And there are a lot of brands out there that have done the formulation for you and all you do is portion it out and feed it to your dog so these are sort of products like you've got big dog you've got betzel natural zwee peak which is like a air dried product um you've got dr b's bath um, we definitely have a lot more raw dog food suppliers here in adelaide as well that are popping up and so they can be your go-to for information and sourcing ingredients and things like that you can definitely speak to a holistic vet or a nutritionist to formulate a plan for you if you wish and also if you sort of um, I guess follow certain nutritionists for example a lot of them have resources on their websites and free downloads to help you get started 
if you sort of want to do a complete switch, you can use certain base mixes where they contain all the nutritional balance side of things. And then you just add raw meat and maybe a bone to it. So there's a lot of ways to kind of get around that balance thing. I want people to learn to just relax and not think so much about, you know, oh my gosh, is my dog getting everything in one meal every day? Because it should be the way we eat. You know, we don't think about it. We don't go measuring out portions and things like that. We just eat a variety of foods over time. And that does balance out nutrients as long as you're sort of targeting the right food groups for your dog. So yeah. there's definitely a lot of, lot of ways around it, especially when you're dealing with uh, maybe sensitive dogs um, with gut issues or possibly older dogs as well. It's always good to do a very slow transition from sort of their current diet, which is most likely dry food onto raw food, just because their body does not have the right bacteria, for example, um, to digest new food, sort of raw foods, especially if they haven't had something like that before. So it's very important you do it slowly so the body can adapt to these new foods coming in. Otherwise you will have a very tummy upset dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's great advice. And we do just need to kind of relax around the, the situation and um, just do a little bit of extra homework, find a reputable or raw food, uh, more of the commercial line, so to speak, that, you know, you're getting all the organs and bone ratio um, along with the meat that's all balanced and, and ready to go. Um, you know, and then those transitions can just make things much easier when you're buying from somebody who's kind of already done the, um, the, the proportions properly and, um, and, and, and just transition into it confidently. You know, I think that's, that's really key is to just, just be confident about it. Just, you know, you use common sense, um, obviously with the bones, you don't want to, you need to kind of train your dog to, to eat bones and make sure they're not eating them too quickly, even though they will digest the bone, but if they, obviously it needs to be broken down a bit more, be, you know, to make the digestive process easier, you know? So, you know, you just don't want to start throwing out these, you know, um, chicken bones to where the dog's just swallowing them whole, you know, so it's a bit of a training process, make sure they chew, 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 and you can even hang on to the bone while the dog chews through it. You know, it's just, it's just a matter of, of uh, doing a little bit of homework and having a little bit of trust around the process. Cause you know, in the end, it's going to be the best thing ultimately for your dog is to go on what's a natural diet for the dog. Now we have to go back to, you know, the domestication of dogs is what, 30,000 years ago. Um, and obviously coming from potentially a wolf or a similar um, species, maybe uh, it might've been its own species. We don't know. It's too far back. Right. But then again, it's still 99.9, .9, that same bean as it was you know, 30,000 years ago. So therefore that the, the diet requirements are almost identical to what they need now. So the, the, the quicker you can go to raw, you know, ultimately the better it's going to be for your pet. So excellent description 
an explanation on nutrition and how to move to a raw diet. So I want to talk about another therapy that you offer and one that I'm a big fan of, especially for myself, and that's massage therapy. So let's discuss massage therapy um, and what are the benefits? Yeah, absolutely. So the benefits for massage for dogs are quite the same as it is for us humans and I'm sure we we have had a massage before it is quite bliss <laughs> yep. so it is no different with our dogs and you know our dogs being the animal that they are you know they sort of move very differently to how we do and I think their lifestyle is quite different than what it used to be so most people have their dogs indoors now um, and they're constantly on sort of slippery surfaces, jumping up and down off furniture, um, just the way they move, they run, they jump, they, you know, can put themselves out quite a lot. And this is sort of, I guess, sort of leading into, um, you know, pain in dogs and silent pain. And that's because, I mean, animals, they don't really have a voice to, to project to us, but often the signs that they are sort of in pain are often quite overlooked and we don't tend to notice them because they are quite subtle. And it's important that we learn to listen and look out for these signs for our dogs. Um, and the way massage works to help that is because with massage, me as a therapist, um, my hands are scanning the dog's body. I'm sort of looking for any imbalances or asymmetry in the body from one side to the other, um, scanning the body for sort of tight muscles and adhesions. And sort of like if you wake up with a sore neck, you know, you're the one feeling the, the discomfort and the pain, but you're not necessarily vocalizing about it. And so our dogs are the same. And a lot of dogs do live with tight muscles and um, poor fascia, um, which is the connective tissue in the body. Um, and they go about day-to-day -day life and they'll still continue to do strenuous activities and continue to overdo themselves until they get really, really sore. And massage uses, you know, it's the manipulation of muscles. So it uses specialized techniques and stretches to release the tension in the body. And then this ultimately affects things on an emotional level, a mental level, physiological level, um, so it helps to, you know, calm the nervous system. It prevents adhesions in the body, um, stimulates, you know, proper digestion and detoxification processes, um, increases blood circulation, which is really important to, you know, make sure that, um, you know, nutrients are getting to the cells properly. And it's, you know, dogs are instinctual animals and a lot of, a lot of them are stoic in nature, which just means that they don't tend to show pain very well. And that's why my job is to locate those sources of pain. And, you know, sometimes I'll even find lumps on an animal that the owner wasn't even aware about. Um, so, you know, I like to actually encourage people, always have your hands on your dog's body scanning, you know, and do this once a week, for example, while you're watching TV, just run your hands along the dog and just see if you can, you know, pick up on anything different because, um, you know, it's very important that the dog's body is functioning properly to prevent injury. And that's just what massage does. It, it ensures that the muscles and the joints are staying nice and flexible and mobile and the dog is, um, so we've got that range of motion and strength in the body. That way they can, you know, perform activities without causing injury. 
Absolutely. I mean, great point as far as, you know, providing that tip to where, you know, take a little bit of time to feel through your dog and, you know, recognize maybe some sensitivities on, on your pet that then you can take the next step and say, I noticed he kind of flinched when I touched his right hip. You can go see people like Daniela who can do a deeper analysis on that situation, do a bit more body work and, and really figure things out, catch it early. Right. Cause it's all about, you know, being proactive and preventative as much as possible. Like, like you explained, you know, as you, a part of what you, the service you like to provide. So being proactive as pet owners is very important um, in general. And yeah, I mean, of course, the dog's just going to love that, you know, a good old massage um, at the same time. It's very, you know, rewarding um, and carries massive benefits, as you explained. Absolutely. And their response to massage, really, it amazes me every time. I get a lot of people saying, you know, my dog is too active, like probably won't sit still. And look, every dog is different. And again, that's where you just always have to work with the dog in front of you. But when you just see them really relax into it, the size of relief, um, you know, their breathing slows down, um, you know, they start to slowly close their eyes. You can just see how much they appreciate just that release, even if it's, you know, if they're say a healthy young dog, they may not necessarily have any issues or tight muscles, but just that learn to switch off and calm down um, because a lot of dogs just don't know how to switch off. So yeah, it's just, it really is a beautiful experience. And then when I sort of touch base with the owners in the next day or two to see how have they sort of, I guess, responded the next day to massage, you know, a lot of them are like, wow, like their energy has perked up, they're moving so much better. And they don't actually sort of notice these changes until they've actually experienced the massage. So it is a very powerful, powerful modality, definitely. Absolutely. So what about laser therapy? I mean, does this kind of go hand in hand? You know, once you find like a sensitive spot, do you then turn to laser therapy? Um, You know, what is it? And if you could just talk a little bit about the benefits. Yeah, so laser therapy is another wonderful tool that sometimes produces results that astounds me. Um, It can work sort of alone as its own modality, or it can be used, say, with massage, which then enhance each other's effectiveness. So laser therapy, it's a non-invasive tool. Um, The version I have is a class 3B, which just means that it doesn't produce any thermal effects which means, again, it's completely safe to, you know, directly use on the skin of an animal. So it uses sort of your infrared light energy to stimulate specific biological processes in the cells deep in the body um, of the tissue that you're targeting. And this pretty much triggers um, sort of healing in the body at a faster rate. It stimulates tissue regeneration, and it also reduces any pain or inflammation. So it's quite useful if a dog is, say, recovering from surgery. It helps to just, you know, get rid of the swelling and the bruising very quickly um, and the pain while also stimulating healing at a faster rate. Um, It can also be useful for dogs that have chronic musculoskeletal conditions. So this might be if they have um, hip dysplasia or arthritis, Most of these dogs will most likely be on anti-inflammatories 
So I like to sort of encourage people to incorporate methods that sort of won't have any side effects and can sort of be a bit more, I guess, try to get people to sort of use less medication to kind of have your dog feeling good and actually use other methods and, you know, strengthening the body and, you know, making sure that they're constantly moving rather than sort of just medicating them. So um, it can be particularly good with that as well. If a dog has um, anal gland issues, ear issues, things like that, it's just very, very wonderful in pain management, but also stimulating healing in the body. The reason it just astounds me is because I'll have certain people come to me with a dog that has this limp. Um, They've seen the vet, they've had x-rays, the vet has no idea what it could be. Um, They've tried anti-inflammatories, which, you know, seem to work for a couple of days or a week, but then the issue is still there. Then they'll come to me, I'll do my assessments, I'll suggest laser. So we'll do a program of laser. And then I sometimes get responses where the next day the dog was no longer limping. Wow. Yeah, it just, it blows my mind. And I think it's because, you know, laser is so targeted to what you're treating. So if a dog has a limp, that's coming from the shoulder, um, the laser just tends to trigger a specific point and specific pathways to, again, remind the body, like attention needs to be here to heal this, this issue. And, you know, by one or two days, the dog is limp free. So it's, it's quite amazing. It's incredible. I mean, I just had an experience with laser therapy because my, one of my dogs had double knee surgery going on six weeks now. And she went in for physical therapy about two, uh, sorry, two weeks ago. Yeah. So four weeks post surgery and she got laser therapy on her knees and whatnot. And, um, you know, I was, I was fascinated and we were talking about it a little bit and she was describing the the technique and why she was doing this. And, and it just made perfect sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, and it, it sounds like it goes, you know, quite hand in hand with massage therapy and, and supporting the animal on a muscle skeletal level. So mm-hmm. in, incredible. So I, what I want to do is wrap this up with your mission with your business, you know, well, ultimately, where do you want to take it? That's a good question. <laughs> I think I definitely want to be able to provide more alternative modalities to what I already have. I just want to keep adding tools to my toolbox. Um, and I just want to continue educating pet parents and, you know, working with like-minded professionals and individuals to, you know, creating a wonderful community where we are all supporting each other to have, you know, balanced, strong, healthy, happy dogs. And I mean, it's Adelaide in particular is quite behind with research and and these sort of things compared to the other states in Australia. So I want to sort of bring that here and give this option to pet parents and let them know that they do have options available to them and they, I want them to be taking proactive approaches and steps into their pet's health that's pretty much my my goal and I'll continue to do the best I can in in that way absolutely I mean just being on this podcast and speaking about it and providing your techniques and tips um, is a step in that direction so I just really want to thank you for coming on and and really diving in and giving us another look um, into a more natural, healthy, holistic lifestyle 
and approach for, you know, your canines specifically. And, you know, just humans and, and dogs that we, 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 we have a long history together, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, the more that we can do for them, the better, especially when it comes to taking more of a holistic approach. So Daniela, once again, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, it was an excellent conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Andy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, everyone, we'll catch up with you next time on the next episode. We'll see you then.